Welcome to AI Dialogues, a series by educational initiatives and organization working towards creating a world where children everywhere are learning with understanding. In this podcast, we speak to entrepreneurs, academicians, policy makers, and education leaders delving into the most urgent and important questions on solving for quality and equity in education. This episode is a part of a special series recorded at the ASU GSV Summit 2022 and is hosted by Pranav Kothari. In this episode, we speak to Aleandro Caballero. Aleandro is a senior education specialist at the International Finance Corporation, the private sector arm of the World Bank. In this role, he evaluates investments in private education companies. Prior to joining IFC, Aleandro was a senior education specialist at the World Bank, working with governments in higher education and science, technology and innovation. I think the theme of digital transformation has become paramount amidst the pandemic. Even before the pandemic, students were already digital natives that wanted to have similar experiences in their education journey to what they lived in other aspects of their life. I mean, whether it's entertainment, whether it's uh, uh, transportation, financial services, but the pandemic has accelerated this significantly. Many institutions in today's world have decided that they want to continue to be predominantly face-to-face. But it's a different type of face-to-face experience. It's a, an enriched face-to-face. It's a face-to-face with increasing percentages of virtual content that 20 to 40% that typically would be had through asynchronous activities. The student may be learning from his uh, home or from his student hall, maybe one or two days per week. So even if we're still thinking in some cases about face-to-face, it's radically different from what we had before the pandemic. In this conversation, Aleandro and Pranav discuss the growing power of digitization, especially in higher education across the globe. Aleandro speaks in depth about IFC's D4TEP initiative, which supports universities as they adapt to an increasingly online education ecosystem. Welcome, Alejandro, to EI Dialogues. Uh, such a pleasure to have you here. No, thank you, Pranav. It's uh, my pleasure to be here. Thanks. So, Alejandro, uh, where there are market failures in providing uh, high-quality education uh, to to people, uh, how has the IFC enabled um, organizations to serve uh, uh, that particular demographic? Yeah, IFC works with private sector entities, and I think we're living a a moment of unprecedented impact on education sectors. The pandemic has really been very detrimental to the needs of some students around the world, and in particular, there's research that points to learning losses that have happened uh, during the pandemic. My sense is that we, uh, the private sector needs to work together with the public sector to really help alleviate this situation and to, to really promote a systematic approach to education systems. So, so that's where IFC comes in. We support uh, educational institutions, private educational institutions around the world in emerging markets, and we try to, uh, to work across the access, quality, and relevance dimensions of education sectors. 
And are there some examples that you have seen uh, where this has happened? Uh, what was the situation? Uh, uh, what happened? And then what were the results and benefits uh, after that? Absolutely. A lot of IFC's work revolves around tertiary education. That's where we have our, the bulk of our investments and that's where we do most of our work recently. We have a combination of different things. We're an investment entity, so we provide financial support to education institutions, in particular tertiary level education institutions, but we also have advisory services that promote improvements in outcomes at the education institution level. At this point, there's two main advisory services. We work around employability, and we also have an initiative that supports digital transformation in higher education. So I think the theme of digital transformation has become paramount amidst the pandemic. Even before the pandemic, students were already digital natives that wanted to have similar experiences in their education journey to what they lived in other aspects of their life. I mean, whether it's entertainment, whether it's uh, uh, transportation, financial services, but the pandemic has accelerated this significantly. I mean, we're uh, living a world where, uh, you know, business continuity needed to be ensured through digital means and where institutions are redefining their strategies when it comes to, to how to engage with the digital world. And, and, and IFC is here to help and support. We developed the Digital for Tertiary Education project pretty much as the pandemic emerged. We were launching the initiative in April 2020 and we've been supporting already 13 ed uh, higher education institutions in their transformation paths to become more digitally enabled. Yeah, I think technology can play a great role in sort of continuing the education even when, let's say, physical campuses were closed. Um, so when I think of universities, I think of, let's say, students coming to class, uh, students doing independent research, students doing some homework, uh, students preparing for that. So in that entire spectrum of higher education, what components has you know technology enabled the teacher, uh, the, the research ecosystem, the the learning of the student and what are some places where technology can play an even greater role going forward? I would point to four main areas of impact of technology in the tertiary education space. One has to do with the redefinition of the modalities of provision. Many institutions in today's world have decided that they want to continue to be predominantly face-to-face. -face. But it's a different type of face-to-face -face experience. It's a, an enriched face-to-face. It's a face-to-face -face with increasing percentages of virtual content, that 20 to 40% that typically would be had through asynchronous activities. The student may be learning from his uh, home or from his student hall maybe one or two days per week. So even if we're still thinking in some cases about face-to-face, it's radically different from what we had before the pandemic. And then there's many other institutions that have decided we really need to grow and accelerate in new modalities or, or, or increase our presence in existing modalities like blended and online learning. Whether they do it alone, that's a, a solution for many institutions. In some cases, they need to enter partnerships. We're, gonna, we're seeing an emergence of OPMs also and partnership models in the higher education sp uh, space, the whole unbundling of the education value chain. So that's 
I think a key theme that has accelerated and will continue to accelerate in the post-pandemic world. The second area that we look into is the whole student success. I mean, student success understood as prevention of dropout rates, uh, student retention, and the ability to put in place predictive systems to identify students at risk of dropping out. So that's a big part of, of where technology can help setting up these traffic light systems, these uh, predictive models that will help uh, uh, mitigate the risk of a student dropping out of, of school. I think the third area where there's a significant work through technology is the whole student experience. Uh, if you look at the student journey, the different moments of truth that derive a student satisfaction over time are becoming increasingly digitized. So student satisfaction is to a large extent driven by their digital experiences. And that's where we are sort of in, in a process where experiences need to be measured and, and we need to put a particular focus in helping institutions work uh, close to being defining that student satisfaction. And then the fourth area where digital transformation is key has to do with the operational efficiency of institutions. It's about institutions becoming leaner. It's about institutions becoming much more agile. It's about reducing manual processes. Those very large teams that still some higher education institutions have involving you know, uh, large teams of people that are focusing on relatively low value added tasks, whereas uh, it's the exchange of Excel spreads. It's rather than having automated processes with a technology backbone that's fully integrated. Uh, and I think there's a whole set of work that the institutions are doing around this. So at the end of the day, digital transformation is about these four key themes. And through D4TEP, through our digital transformation initiative, we help institutions work across the four dimensions. That's very interesting. Would you also say that student choice can be amplified by digital? Because previously, let's say, if someone wanted to study a very specific course in astronomy, um, but there were only three students in the university who were interested. But with digital, they can now take and offer those courses because they can aggregate demand from other sister colleges or connected university systems. And students can take a greater choice of subjects uh, today at the time of their choice. Because previously, at least when I went to college, the, the, the courses I wanted, I had a time clash or they were not offered because not enough students were interested in it. But with technology, higher education can increase the choice of topics and the choice of timings uh, when the student can take that course. No, absolutely. I think student choice is, is a key theme also in, in today's higher education agenda. It's about enriching the program offering of an institution with third-party content. I mean, that's a trend that we're seeing in many institutions around the world. It's about enriching traditional four-year programs with micro-credentials that in some cases can be offered by third parties. And we see that that student journey and that student uh, personalization of the academic experience in many cases requires incorporating uh, content that's out, outside of the traditional program that, 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 in, that students have pursued. We're, st we're starting to see that uh, universities are standardizing the production of content, are creating content factories to be able to redeploy uh, content in different formats across different modalities. So, so that's also becoming a key trend. Uh, student choice is, is really about 
you know, that personalization of the journey. And, and I think that's the end goal of education is enabling students to really create their own paths. We have excellent examples in, 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 in some institutions around the world. I always point to Anima, which is a, a Brazilian higher education group that created the joystick model to be able to really adapt and personalize academic itineraries for students. And more and more institutions are, are, are going in this direction. Uh, so that embedding of third-party content, I think, is going to become a trend, whether it's uh, you know a course from Coursera or whether it's a course from any other micro-credentials providers. That's going to become much more uh, the norm in higher education in the coming years. And you also think technology and digital transformation in higher education is expanding the number of people who can take it? Like, are you seeing that now? Because historically, higher education was, let's say, age group 18 to 25, right? Are you seeing more older students take it? Are you seeing more people can afford higher education now because digital transformation has made it more easier to achieve some of these credentials and degrees? I would say higher education is experiencing uh, diversification in multiple ways. One, as you rightly uh, pointed to, has to do with the profile of the student, from the traditional 17 to 22-year-old to working adults, adult learners, maybe ages 25 to 45. Again, that many higher education institutions have been forced to diversify their, uh, their, their offering and include these new age groups. Also because some of the traditional cohorts, 17 to 22 years old, they're stagnating in, in some higher education markets around the world. The growth is really coming from the working adult segment. And, and that's where, in some cases, there's double digit growth in, in, in many institutions. The second area where there's diversification has to do with the modalities of provision. And I think we talked a little bit about it. I mean, it's not only the enriched face-to-face or the new face-to-face, it's about blended and online delivery modalities. And there's diversification happening also um, you know, in the sector. The third area where we're seeing diversification is the formats, and we already talked about it. I mean, there's format diversification because, you know, traditional programs are being combined with micro-credentials, alternative credentials, and shorter formats with higher ROI or faster ROI when it comes to going to market. And then I would say there's another level of diversification that is happening at the geographic level because technology opens up new boundaries, uh, new geographic space for universities to play in, whether it's uh, going into rural rural areas, whether it's uh, going into tier two and tier three cities, whether it's capturing the international opportunity and going outside their borders. So I think there's diversification happening in the sector at these four main levels, and, and that's a big agenda uh, for, for higher education also in the post-pandemic space. And how are employers contributing to this? Uh, are they requesting the higher education institutes to teach specific courses that are uh, what the employers will need of the graduates that are emerging. Um, Are they playing some role in the content creation? Are they providing internship opportunities? Uh, How are employers engaging and how should they be engaging in in this digital transformation? I think the whole theme of employability is really at the the center of today's discussion in, in higher education. 
mo the most innovative models and we've been here at ASU you know speaking to many institutions from all over the world at the end of the day the most uh, dynamic institutions are starting with employability are, are looking at, at employment outcomes and reverse engineering to work out an academic model that can deliver those outcomes. So employability has become front and center in today's discussion. I mean, the whole work integrated learning, for instance, that some institutions are trying to promote. I was just having a conversation with North Northeastern University. They've made the co-op model, you know, an example internationally about how to carry out work integrated learning, experiential learning, and really start from employability to, do, to, to, to develop an academic model that works for the students. Uh, I would tend to think that employability is becoming digital as well. I mean, many higher education institutions are implementing uh, software packages to help digitize either career services, alumni relations, uh, virtual uh, career fairs, uh, the possibility of having uh, uh, alumni programs or micro-credential programs targeted towards uh, uh, alumni and so on and so forth. So, so the whole world of employability is becoming digital. IFC has an initiative, it's called VITE, where we help uh, higher education institutions uh, improve their labor market insertion practices. It's not exclusively around digitalization, but there's a big digitalization component as well. And, and I think we would look at things like mission and a strategy related to employability. I mean, there's a second theme that has to do with or, uh, organizational structure, budget and resources devoted to employability. We look at employer engagement. We look at quality and relevance of education because at the end of the day, if there's no quality or relevance, there's no employability. And then we also look at the theme of management information systems for employability. So, so again, there needs to be a comprehensive approach when it comes to, to, to developing employability at the institutional level. But this is becoming, I would say, the key theme today, not only in, 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 in higher education, but more, more broadly in, in, in the education sector, including EdTech and, and, and some of the other subsectors. And as you think about EdTech and this digital transformation, you know, what distance have we covered? What problems have we solved? What gaps have we addressed and what is pending over the next five years? What's the roadmap on this? You know, what are the problems we've still not solved that there's an opportunity for a new entrepreneur to come up with to solve that uh, problem? What uh, needs are still unmet? Uh, where is, you know, uh, where are gaps that are still not fixed? Well, I think uh, many models are already going in the, in the direction of, of converging the skill space with the HR space. And I think there's a convergence happening in that, that has been accelerated recently. But there's more to be done on that front. So, so that whole emergence of HR tech, of new worlds that, that, that start from the HR processes and but look into skills, that look into capacity building, training. Uh, again, many innovative models around the world are, 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 are trying to solve this piece of, of, of how skills can solve the employability equation. So I would say that's a, an area where there's significant need for more work. I mean, you, you're present in, in the field of assessments. I mean, obviously, assessments 
are being redefined with the use of technology because we used we were used to high stake tests and high stakes examinations and that's a part of the equation but how do you measure cross-cutting skills how do you measure uh, skills that that are a little bit outside of the traditional professional and content related competencies so so that's a, also a big a big agenda embracing micro credentials and uh, embracing uh, things that that go in the direction of, of, of transversal skills for, for, for students. So, so, so I think that's another big agenda, another big theme for, for education. And, and then the final thing I would, I would mention, I mean, we continue to be very, very interesting in the whole agenda of using uh, data analytics to measure le learning outcomes. It's, it's a challenging space. I mean, uh, many of the models are still nascent and there needs to be more work, more entrepreneurs trying to solve this issue of how to really radically improve what's happening in the classroom through feedback loops, uh, leveraging data mining techniques, uh, predictive analytics and, and, and technology being used to really put the focus at the center of the uh, learning experience, which is the acquisition of skills yeah so yeah we've been doing some work in assessments and you know we've been thinking about that how not to simply digitize assessments which is what you had a test on paper how do you now take it on an ipad or a desktop right but how do you make items where you have to interact with the items or then you know we are calling them technology enhanced items where the person has to interact by moving a slide ruler on thermometer uh, or temperature and seeing what's the effect it's having on molecules or bacteria um, we're also trying to think about how do we assess skills 21st century skills like collaboration or creativity right these are there's no precedence on how these have been assessed uh, not for you know the purpose of giving someone a score but to sort of know where we are and where we need to be um, have you seen any um, you know interesting uh, uh, pieces around uh, assessments or, or do you have any advice for us on uh, as we build out the next wave uh, or the next phase of assessments uh, what topics should we measure on and and how can we possibly do that well i think you're right on 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 spot here i mean at the end of the day it's the measurement of cross-cutting skills whether it's as you said collaboration problem solving creativity digital skills uh, uh, language skills uh, whether it's uh, you know things that have to do with uh, with the ability to 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 persevere greet uh, again there's a whole set of skills that today employers are telling us these are the skills that really make the difference when i hire young talent i mean it's about content and it's about professional knowledge and and, and academic specific discipline specific uh, knowledge but in most cases that's not not what decides the hiring of a candidate when they come fresh out of school. I mean, it's it's the other things because uh, I mean it's taken for granted that many candidates will have, you know, will have some uh, academic uh, knowledge and discipline-specific knowledge. So so it's really about how we measure, uh, you know, the acquisition of these other skills. And I think that's where the agenda for assessments is, is trying to go in that direction. And it's
it's trying to look a little bit at some of the items we were discussing around diversifying formats and uh, how the new formats can help in in in, the, in this direction we, we we have done uh, some research on digital skills in particular in the context of sub-saharan africa i mean those are every single theme like digital skills like creativity teamwork i mean could be an area of analysis in itself yeah when you are deciding on which organizations to invest and which organizations to pass on what are the criteria that you look at before deciding to put in money in that organization what's like your investment framework uh, when you have a choice of hundreds of people applying to you for funding I mean, we're a do- double bottom line institution, so we work commercially. From, I mean, that means that we that we follow, you know, the principles of investing, and we need to make invest- investments that are profitable and that are self-sustaining. But we are a mission-driven institution, and our mission is to boost share prosperity and alleviate poverty around the world. So, so we need to combine both, and that's, I think, the beauty of the of the work of of a multilateral institution like IFC is, is combining both things. So when it comes to our framework, obviously we need to assess uh, things like access, quality, relevance, uh, affordability, and, 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 and that's something that obviously would filter what type of opportunities we might be able to pursue. So access would be that if this is easily available to large numbers of students and quality would be if if the work that the organization is doing is making an impact on learning outcomes and affordability would be a certain dollar per person, a PPP adjusted, something of that sort? I mean, in many cases, it's it's a qualitative assessment that needs to happen. I mean, we need to combine the different dimensions of impact in education. And, and again, the equitable access dimension is important. The quality as, as it relates to learning outcomes is important. And then relevance of education as it relates to employability is also right. critical. And at the end of the day, our framework revolves about, you know, being able to measure impact and at, 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 at different levels in, in the education sector. So we're at the end of this uh, fabulous ASU GSV conference. Over the last three days, what has inspired you? What were you excited by? What were you mystified by? Uh, You know, what what caught your attention? What was your favorite? Uh, Well, I would say just people's eagerness to meet and to come out of their shells after all this uh, very hard two years that uh, people have experienced in different countries around the world. There was just a general vibrant ambition to meet other people, to, to, to get together. People were hugging themselves. And I think that personal touch is really what made a, a big difference. People were ready for this and they were looking forward to this. And it's been a, a fantastic event with, with great opportunities to, to meet face-to-face people from all over the world. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, it's my first uh, conference in the last three years. And um, I'm also equally inspired by the fact that we have people of all ages now interested in solving the education problem, right? There are, there, I saw some students of university who are thinking about a career in education to people who are seasoned investors and, uh, you know, in, in, in leadership positions in, in uh, large organizations. I think that has been very encouraging to see... Uh, a very wide cross-section across the world and across ages and across demographics to, to be here together. Yeah, and I think a big part of that is that the world of EdTech and the world of 
I don't know if this is the right term, but mainstream education are converging. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, EdTech is being part of mainstream education. Mainstream education is becoming more technology savvy. And I think that convergence uh, really helps bring people from different ages, from different uh, worlds, and they come together. We're starting to see uh, EdTech players being interested in, in exploring partnership with universities, universities exploring partnerships with EdTech players. So the whole agenda of collaboration is helping diversify also the profiles of the people that work in the in the education sector and, and you know, younger generations that are maybe more focused on, on, on creating and starting up a, a new business together with people that have been in the sector for many, many years, but that now are redefining our, uh, their roles and are incorporated, incorporating more technology into the way they, they do their daily jobs. So, so I think it's a very interesting combination that, uh, that obviously a conference like ASU can help promote. No, thank you again. Thanks, Pranav, for this interview, and I, I look forward to continuing the dialogue. Yeah, thank you, Alejandro. It's been a pleasure. If you enjoyed this conversation, subscribe to EI Dialogues so you don't miss upcoming episodes. On our YouTube channel, you can view thematic videos on the role of technology in education, collaborating with governments, scaling interventions, and much more. Also visit our earlier conversation with Ashish Thavan on the relevance of management principles in running and scaling a non-profit organization to address the needs of the Indian education sector.